Good afternoon, good evening, everyone, or good morning, perhaps, if you're listening. Welcome to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where uh, we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the lifelong journey of learning and growth that stretches across the full stack of technologies in today's modern data center. I'm your host, Scott Lowe, and as always, my purpose here on the podcast is to bring uh, a guest on, chat with that guest about um, their areas of expertise and their experience, perhaps their own particular journey of uh, learning or transition or growth that they've gone through. And then along the way, we want to provide practical, usable, real-world information uh, on various technologies or on some of the resources that uh, um, you know either I am using or the, the guest is using that will help listeners along with their journey of learning and help them uh, you know, kind of grasp the bigger picture of all these technologies that are being used today. And so uh, we're going to have a real strong focus, as always, on, on being very practical about, about our conversation. Uh, joining me today on the podcast, I'm talking with Lindsay Hill, and uh, we're going to be talking about networking, which is uh, always a great topic. So, Lindsay, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks a lot, Scott. Pleasure to be here. So, I'm Lindsay Hill. You may know me as at Northland Boy on Twitter or through my blog, lkhill.com. I've got quite a bit of a mix of a background, really. I've been doing a lot of networking, a lot of network security, but also quite a lot of Unix a um, little bit of development along the way, recently a lot of automation. So good mix of things, which turns out shaping up pretty well with where the industry's going now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, that is uh, that is a, a pretty uh, powerful mix given uh, sort of what's going on with uh, the networking industry and the IT industry um, on, a, on a broader basis generally. You know, I think you and I have interacted a fair amount online, but I don't know that we've ever really had a chance to sit down and have a, any sort of in-depth conversation, at least not that I can recall. I think we're some one of those groups of people where we circle around each other, but we don't always actually directly speak speak directly like this one we're here today. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's it's awesome to to uh, get a chance to talk with you uh, for sure. And already I've learned uh, listeners are probably picking up uh, Lindsay's accent. Already I learned that Lindsay was from New Zealand. Um, didn't know that. So cool. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, like not, not not to be confused with an Australian accent, but I. I don't take it badly. I have been living in the in San Francisco for the last couple of years, so my accent's starting to shift around a little bit now. I'm I, I confuse people sometimes. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. And I'm glad that you don't take it, you know, harshly. That you know somebody might suggest you're from Australia. Somebody may on this podcast I, I, may or may not have said something like to that effect earlier. You know, so uh, we won't mention any names. Look, it's no problem with the Australians these days. We beat them with the rugby every time we play them, so. Nothing else matters. <laughs> All right, awesome, very good. Well, hey, let's uh, let's jump right into the conversation for uh, the listeners. And um, Lindsay, you know your background gives you, I think, a, a pretty um, unique perspective on on some of the you know major changes that are happening in the networking industry. And and out of all the the various disciplines that we see in IT today, I, I'm of the opinion that probably networking is the one that is undergoing the most significant transition. And I liken this transition to the scale or the scope of sort of what, you know, the, the server admins went through back in the early 2000s when VMware came on the scene and suddenly we were talking about hypervisors and virtualizing workloads and all that. I mean, this is sort of our very massive change in, in not only in how networking equipment and software is packaged and provided to consumers, but also in terms of how networks are designed, how networks are operated, um, how networks interact with sort of the broader uh, scope of of things in the ecosystem, you know, uh, ties into automation systems and ties into, uh, you know, 
other platforms that need to manipulate the network for various reasons. And so I was just wondering, you know, kind of let's talk about some of the major things that are happening in the network industry. And I just love to get your perspective real quick on that. And then, and then we'll transition from there into sort of, okay, if somebody's coming into networking, you know, and they're, and they're sort of brand new to it, uh, given these changes and these shifts that are happening, sort of where should they start? Right. But first let's, let's just, just talk about some of the, the major things that are happening. So in your mind, you know, what are some of these major trends that are happening in the networking industry and, uh, and what's your, you know, what's your initial take on them? You're right. There is a there is a massive change coming through, and and you can see for a lot of people in networking, it's a really difficult transition as well. Um, for if you were say a Unix engineer circa 1999, and you transitioned through to being more of a Linux on VMware engineer by 2008, that's a that's a pretty straightforward progression. Obviously, there's things to learn along the way, but. But there's a, it's, it's not that difficult. It's not that big a change, really. But if you've been a traditional networking pro for the last 10 years and you're, you know, everything about MPLS, you're amazing with BGP, you know, everything about configuring Nexus OS to do just what you want, and then someone says to you, oh, hey, by the way, actually, I don't want you to log into this switch anymore. You're now going to need to go and edit this Ansible playbook commit that code to get, that's going to kick off Circle CR to do some checks and then it's going to get approved by someone else and automatically rolled out. And you're just sitting there thinking, uh, what? It's a, and it's going to be a real problem for people to, to make that transition through. So there's the challenges of the transition, but then there's also, when I, when I sort of step back and look at what's going on, you look at the, I like to look at the broader industry things that are happening. Like where are the, where are the pressures coming from? Why are we getting them? And you think about a, obviously we're on a broader space where everything we're doing, cloud is the major driver of change across so much of what we do. And that changes the whole way that we think about networking. We're not really thinking about, oh, I need to deploy my data center and I've got X topper X switches and end of rows and I'm gonna have this, this core device. Instead, you're thinking, well, I need to care about my edge networking, my wireless, my edge networking for my users, my cloud connectivity, and then, okay, now actually all my resources are in AWS or Azure, where's my Cisco device fit in there? So there's a big, big pressure coming on there. You know, how do, there's different, the, the server admins are now doing things quite differently. Where does the network admin fit into that? Who's, who are they serving? What are they doing? And it's pretty tough for people to figure out where do they fit into all of that. Um, one of the other things, though, that you know the phrase that what is what is the phrase? There is the future is here; it is just not evenly distributed, and that's something that I see a lot. So I talk, obviously these days I, I work for a network vendor, and I'm out talking to customers a lot, and I talk to some people who are doing the most amazing, super advanced things, and then I talk to people who are doing basically the same things that they've been doing for the last 10, 15 years. And one of the things I, I, I sort of, I feel when I look at that is I say, well, if you're one of those people who are, well, or you're on the back end of that curve, you know, your, your processes haven't changed and you're looking at this, this big wall of change coming at you and you're feeling a bit daunted by it. One thing I'd say there is you're not alone. There are a lot of other people in that same position. It's not like it's just you who's in there. A lot of other people have to go through that same transition. So don't 
don't be too afraid of all of that. Yeah, gotcha. So, you know, it sounds like just to kind of paraphrase, you know, what you were talking about, there's a there's a maybe two or perhaps three you know, very significant things that are that are really shaping the one. Um, maybe this is uh, could be decided as sort of the overarching, you know, push that's causing a lot of this is, of course, the rise of public cloud and the increasing use of the public cloud by organizations. And, and that, in turn, kind of generates, you know, a need to look at different parts of the network than where you before. And now you're looking at the edge, you're looking at wireless, you're looking at, you know, client networking. It's not as much about the data center as it used to be, um, as you pointed out. So that's that's one thing. And then, you know, kind of along with that too, this operational change of how people are leveraging, you know, the network and, and what networks they are leveraging then causes people to to need to uh, to look at how they they you know configure a network or manage a network a little bit differently. Does that sound like a reasonable summary? Yeah, it certainly does. Obviously, there's a few other trends going on there that I see happening as well, and some of these are just um, what I think of as just general evolution of the industry. And I uh, I don't know how many of your listeners follow Simon Wardley. But if you're not familiar with Simon Wardley's Wardley maps, I strongly recommend you go and look those up, have a look through some of those things. Because what we're seeing, we're seeing an evolution. And we, as systems evolve, that then means that systems, practices, products built on top of those have to evolve as well. And we look at what the other things going on in networking, like in the past, we would need to develop our own custom ASICs custom operating system on top of that, wrap that up in a special piece of tin, ship that out to customers. But now Broadcom produces standard ASICs that anyone can go and buy. Linux is a standard operating system. Now there's a lot less, those, those lower level pieces are a lot less unique to individual network vendors. And that means that then there's other entrants can come into that market and other ways of operating those systems. Now, someone like Cumulus can come along and say, hey, well, actually, you don't need to run a special operating system on your device. Why don't you just run Linux on there? And Cumulus is able to enter that market without needing the, the massive hardware investments that, that a company would have needed to enter the networking industry 10, 15 years ago. That means that then we then start seeing these different options. We start seeing different pricing models. People start separating out those things like saying, hey, well, do I need to buy my operating system from the same place that I buy my hardware? Maybe, maybe not. It changes the way you think about things. That, And then if, obviously at a high level, if I'm a business person looking at that, I'm saying, well, what, is, what do I get out of this? Can, if I go this other option, is that going to be cheaper for me or is that going to let me do things faster? Maybe it is. That's, so as a business person, I'm going to say, well, I want to pursue that path. And the technology people then have to say, oh, okay, you want to run Linux on this switch instead of Nexus OS or whatever? Okay, but what does that mean for me? And and people st- people get, you know, you can be a bit nervous about that if you don't have that background. Like I'm, I'm lucky enough that I started my career working with Unix systems and I've worked on HPUX and Erics and uh, Solaris and early Linux distributions and all all sorts of things over the years. So for me, that's not that big a deal. But if you don't have that, that's uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit scary, right? Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Um, and you know, I think um, the other thing that that seems to be 
affecting um, networking, you know, fairly significantly. And or, or I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say fairly significantly, but it's affecting networking in 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 similar ways as it as as when we saw the rise of virtual machines. But it's a uh, it's it's needing to be addressed, I think, in a little bit differently. And that is sort of the the embrace of of containers and container orchestration systems and the effect that's having on on the networking industry, driving sort of different architectures than perhaps people would have you know normally uh, normally adopted. Yeah, absolutely. You've got those different pressures coming through. Um, the pressure to adapt and change the network faster than than you had previously. Um, we as as network engineers, when when virtualization came along, a lot of network engineers sort of said, "Oh, well, my my domain extends to the end of the Cat five cable. I don't care what goes on on your server." But really, that network edge had shifted into the server. It was just the network engineers were able to sort of pretend that that, that wasn't happening for a while. But that's sort of gone on a bit further. Um, that That's evolved from just this basic V-switch to pretty complex stuff with NSX and other options there. Containerization or the use of containers, that again, lots of different pressures on how do I run a system? How What does that mean for my network? How do we go and... How, how does my network respond in time for what my application engineers want? But there's also a bunch of opportunities there, I think. You know, in the past, the only way that the application teams could express their, their needs, the network, was you'd write some architecture document or fill in some spreadsheet and muck around, go back and forth on, with that for a while. But now the application teams have got tools which have exposed APIs and can communicate with other systems via APIs. So I think that that actually gives us better chances to have more structured data exchanges between the different teams. Of course, we've then got to be able to go and take that data and actually do something useful with it. But hey, at least it's there. It's in a structured format, you know. But there's there's possibilities, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to look for the uh, we have to look for the small victories where we can get them uh, and be positive about that sort of thing. So, you know, with all of this stuff happening, right, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of stuff going on. I mean, just in the last few minutes, we've talked about, you know, Linux as a network OS instead of a specialized network OS. We've talked about, you know, the impact of containers and the rapid changes when application developers and application architects are, you know, deploying and undeploying uh, application components. And then, and then the, you know, the talk about having at least some mechanism for exchanging a form of structured data between the network and application, you know, platforms, not to mention, you know, automation needs and, you know, the shift to the cloud and the shift to different parts of the network. I mean, there's all this stuff going on. So uh, let's, let's kind of take a, take the discussion and, and turn it a little bit and say, okay, if, if you, as somebody who's been in the networking industry for a while, you've got this other background, you know, which kind of prepares you for some of these shifts, right? Because you've seen that stuff before. What would you say to, you know, let's say first, somebody who's just now coming into the networking industry and they're like, okay, you know, I just got my CCNA or, you know, whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm a, you know, a new network engineer. Uh, what should they be looking at? You know I mean? How, how should they best prepare for all of these changes that are affecting the industry? You know, some days I get pretty overwhelmed looking at it all. So I'd say to someone new first, don't, it's okay. You know, don't, don't feel too overwhelmed. It's 
it's kind of normal. There's a lot going on. But what I think people need to do is pick an area, focus on that for a while, build up a good solid base of skills there, and then move to adjacent areas. So don't, don't feel too overwhelmed and trying to rush around and do everything all at once. Don't, but also don't just solely go ultra deep in one area. So if you're starting out, if you don't have a CCNA, well, you know what? CCNA still has value. It's been a while now since I did mine, but there is still value there in getting a solid understanding of core concepts like subnetting, dynamic routing. Like these, like some these things change. Some of these things will change. Some of them will evolve. The implementation details aren't going to matter so much. You still need to have these core things. You learn about the basics of VLANs and subnets and things and routing, and then someone says to you, hey, we're trying to implement this VPC and AWS. You go, well, okay, let's have a look at how does that map to my mental model of what a network looks like. Obviously, there's some changes there, but if you've got that, that basic understanding, you'll then be able to go and figure out the other things. So I, so I would say start with, like, certifications are not, Certifications don't solve every problem. They're not an amazing thing, but they can give you a good solid framework for learning, particularly when you're starting out and there's areas that you don't know. Like that's because that's one of the challenges is when you start out, you don't even know what you don't know. So pick something like CCNA, go through that, get that completed, then decide, okay, do I want to go a little bit deeper in this and go to CCNP level? Or does it make more sense based on my the current things in front of me in my job? Would it make more sense at that point to learn more about, say, VMware, if my company's using a lot of VMware tooling and infrastructure? Or would it make sense to learn a lot more about something like Ansible and using that to configure my network devices? So, But look at it from the context of, What's an adjacent field that maps to something that I'm that's solving a problem where I am today? Because that will help, that will make it stick so much better when you go to learn these things. But when you learn something purely in isolation, it's really easy to get bored and it's really hard to, to see what the point of some of it is. And it's easy to just skim over the details. If instead your boss says to you, Hey, Mr. Junior Network Engineer, all of my I've got this network here that you're now you're now going to be responsible for the operations of. Um, we don't have any backups of all of, of our devices right now. That would be a really good task for you to say, okay, how can I what what adjacent skills and tools can I learn to help solve that problem? And that might be that I say, okay, I'm going to use oxidized to automate my config backups. And so along the way, I'll need to learn a little bit, little bit about how do I install that? Okay, I install that on a Linux, Linux virtual machine. Okay, I need to learn enough to get the Linux box up and running, package, enough package management to get that thing, get oxidized, installed and working. Maybe there's, I, they need to do Git, Git integration with that or some sort of source code management. So I need to learn enough to get that plugged in. Not trying to learn everything there, not doing everything, 
but picking up some of the basics along the way. And the key thing is that you're tying it to a business problem of not having those, those config backups. It's not amazing. It's not rocket science. It's not super out there, automated, orchestrated control of your entire environment. But that can come later. You've got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And there's like three, I think, really key things that I heard out of there that I wanted to pull out and, and highlight for the listeners that I think are really, really important. And so the first one of those is um, establishing a solid base of foundational knowledge, right? Like you're going to find yourself, in my opinion, regardless of what industry discipline you're in, whether you're a networking professional or you're a server uh, admin kind of person, or you know, you're an application developer, whatever the case may be, you're going to find yourself struggling if you don't have a good solid um, foundation upon which to build, right? You know, it's it, it's a, probably a an overly used analogy, but it's no different than building a house. You got to have a good foundation, or else the rest of the house is just not going to work out very well. Um, th- so the other the other thing thing that I heard and I wanted to pull out is moving from one area into adjacent areas. And and I know that sometimes as professionals we have to make a pretty significant leap, like we have to go from you know one side of a of a of a of the industry to an you know completely different side right and and sometimes that's just necessary for you know jobs or or you know whatever it is right but if you have the option to do so it's far better to be able to just move incrementally into an adjacent area because then that makes it easier for you to link what you're learning in that new area with what you already know in the previous area it's not so dramatically different you can just say oh it's like this but slightly different right easier to do a compare and contrast. I was going to say on, on that one, um, I, I step one started a job as a Unix admin. And then about the first week after I'd been there, the main security person left. My boss said to me, Hey, do you want to be the, be the main network security person? I'm like, uh, okay. And so, and then he's like, okay, here you are. You're now in charge of all of our checkpoint in, infrastructure. And honestly, I was, I, looking back on it, I was doing it with my eyes closed for the first few months, you know, feeling my way around. There was so much I didn't know at the time. Hell of a learning experience, but looking back, I it probably would have been a little bit better to have had a bit better bridging into that rather than straight dropped into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally agree. And and I think there's probably lots of listeners who can identify with that where they said, you know, hey, Suddenly, I just got this dumped in my lap, and you know you have to do what you have to do, right? But where where you can, if you can build a bridge, um, you know, to something you already know, and begin to make those associations, that certainly helps uh, with the learning process. Um, and then I think the third thing that you mentioned, and and that I wanted to pull out for the listeners to make sure they caught it, was that um, you really need to tie this back to a business need, right? I've shared the story before on on the podcast about how I I decided I was going to go learn a programming language. You know, I'm going to go do this. And so I buy the books and I, you know, pull out the things and I start learning, working through these, you know, exercises. And and it wasn't tied to a business need. Like I had no need to use this functionality. I didn't have any purpose, nothing to to say, oh, this is what I'm trying to accomplish and therefore driving it. And it was a dismal failure. It was an absolute failure, right? Um, and And one of the things I learned out of that failure was that it's always better to be able to tie it to a, a business need or some problem or issue that you're trying to solve or you're trying to optimize or whatever the case may be, right? Um, rather than just learning in isolation. Absolutely. Like when I, so when I, so when I'd moved into this network security role, I, I had to learn a lot about 
the mechanics of dealing with Checkpoint and Nokia Ripso at the time, all these various bits and pieces. And it was, it was pretty tough for a while. And, and, you know, looking back, it's, it's kind of embarrassing when I, I look back at some of the problems I had at the time that stumped me for days or weeks. And now I'm like, oh, you just got to go there and flip that switch. What are you doing? You, anyway, you know, everything's a lot simpler in, re- in, in retrospect, right? But anyway, the thing was that when I was doing this network security work, I realized that in order to be better at that, I really needed to bump up my networking skills because that helped me work a lot better with the, with the adjacent networking team. And because I had those that relationship with those people, and there's a lot of tie-in with what we were doing, it was a much better progression picking up those skills, learning those things, and also being able, as I was learning things there, being able to to validate that on a on a daily basis as you expanded what you knew, expanded the scope of systems that you could work with, saw and did things, real production things that made a difference. And it, it all helped it stick a, a huge amount better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, you know, looking at this, right, uh, all the, the advice that you've given is, is just very, very, very solid, right? Um, and I think really will benefit the listeners on the podcast. Um, I have one question before I transition away, and that is, is there one particular sort of entry point that maybe would be really effective for a lot of people? Um, or is that really going to depend? And I know we all, as IT professionals, you know, we love the, you know, it depends, right, <laughs> phrase. <laughs> um, but is there is there an area like, you know, okay, junior network engineer and, and you know, what what is, is there one thing that you would say, hey, in, in, in the absence of, you know, a, a real strong need to start somewhere else, start here. Probably the one that I think is useful there for, for say, a junior network engineer would be figure out how to automate configuration changes across your environment. Now, you can do that in a pretty quickly and simply you can get something up and running but that will make you start thinking about a whole lot of other things that are, are adjacent to it. And it will, like, it, it, can, it can make your job better on a short-term, quick-win basis. If you, you know, if someone says, hey, I need you to make these changes in these hundred devices, you know, you've immediately made your life better. But as you go through that, that will make you think a whole lot more about other things like, source code control, configuration management, uh, maybe get um, applications, stuff like that. It makes you think about a whole lot of those other things whilst solving a, a real-world problem for you fairly quickly. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really, solid, uh, really solid suggestion. And it's, it makes me sort of think of um, my days back when I was working in as, as a reseller and um, working in the VAR industry, and we'd always talk about... Um, uh, the drag that a particular technology would have on other technologies, right? So you would say, oh, if a customer is going to go and embrace, you know, technology A, then we know they're also going to need, you know, B, C, and D. And so even if they're only going to spend $1 here, they're going to end up spending $10 over here because that's just how how things work, right? I mean, it's just kind of the nature of, the interconnected nature of how technology goes. And I think that's a very similar sort of scenario when you talk about, you know, saying, okay, look at automating the configuration of your network devices that has this drag that's going to bring in, well, the, the automation tool itself, you know, source control, um, you know, sort of programmatic thinking of being able to break down 
the process that you follow into a set of steps that can be, you know, written down and then have it, you know, deterministically and, you know, produce the same result, given the same inputs, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. And as, I mean, as you go through it, you'll start thinking about other things like inventory and you go, oh, hang on, we don't have our inventory system all up to date. What do we need to do to manage that? Um, if people want specific tooling things to look at, uh, at the moment, flavor of the month for me, it's particularly in the network conflict space, is probably Ansible. Um, just because I've been, this year I've been writing several Ansible modules and operating in that community quite a bit more. Um, I mentioned there are other, plenty of other tools out there. That's one with a relatively low barrier to entry for for both junior people and for for network engineers who don't have a lot of experience of those sorts of tools. It's 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 fairly approachable. Yeah, I'd actually agree with that. I've spent a fair amount of time with Ansible, and it seems like the Ansible community is doing a really good job of trying to address the network automation use case with new modules and uh, new functionality. So, um, out of all the tools, it, it you know it kind of seemed like it might be a, a you know a, a multi horse race, and you know early on when we first started talking about network automation, but it seems like Ansible took a strong lead. Um, and and seems to be the you know sort of the front runner for a lot of shops these days. Like like I, I know that there's people out there that are doing amazing things, um, quite complicated things, and some people will hate on me a little bit for saying Ansible there. Um, some people will love it, some people hate it. Um, it's not a perfect tool, but it's pretty approachable. It's a pretty good if you've got nothing to go from. It's a pretty good way of getting started you can pretty quickly solve some problems in your environment without having to without having to on day one solve your entire automation challenge instead it's one you can incrementally bring in and so i think it's it's it may not be what you do long term down the path but it's a really good place to start right now yeah i'd agree and and you know keep in mind listeners you know that our discussion of Ansible, you know, doesn't mean that's the only tool you should you should be out there evaluating. Be sure and take a look at all the different all the different things out there. I know there's a pretty vibrant community around using Salt, for example, to do network automation. So, yeah, you know, take a look at these options and see. Sometimes what you got to do is you sort of got to you've got to pick one, try it out for a bit, and then later rebuild your system. Like, I, I don't know how many people here these days have listened or read uh, Brooks's The Mythical Man Month. Um, that's that's quite a good read. It's been around for a very long time, but and in, in there he says something along the lines of always plan to throw the first one away. So sometimes you have to build a system to learn what works and what doesn't work, and then throw that away and build another one. So as long as you just got to start somewhere, try that out for a while, see what you can learn along the way, see what makes sense, see what doesn't, and then when you come back around to to look at it again. You've got a much more informed opinion about what what really matters for you. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. I, I hadn't considered that, but if I look back on my own experience and working with automation tools, you know, I, I sort of did go down the same route. You know, I started out looking at Puppet and built a bunch of stuff with Puppet, and there's nothing wrong with Puppet. You know, it was a great solution, but it wasn't the right solution for what I was trying to accomplish um, and the use cases that I had in mind. And then after having learned that and learned you know, its strengths and its weaknesses, uh, I was able to look at a different tool and sort of, you know, okay, now at least I have some idea of the landscape and I have some idea of, you know, where this would be beneficial and where it would have it, you know, not be beneficial and, and how to work around those potential 
those potential deficiencies. So I do agree that, you know, it's, it's important to build that prototype and understand that that prototype is not the, you know, the, the baby that has to be, you know, kept. You can, you can, you can throw it away and, and start again and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Like it's like, that's it. I mean, it's kind of hard, you know, you know, we get, a, we get attached to something once we start doing it, but it's okay, you know, it's, it's okay to try something out quickly. Like that's something, so in the last couple of years, I've been working a lot more with application development teams. Um, and, and one of the things that one of the engineering managers on me is to prototype things, publish code early, get feedback, see what's working, see what's not working, and then, and then take that feedback and course correct as required. Um, Historically, we used to be more spend a lot more time gathering requirements, figuring out what to do, then go and do deployment. These days, it's it's usually better to just spin something up, try it out, public, knock something together, publish it, see what works, see what's not working, and quickly iterate and and be and and don't 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 feel that you're throwing work away because you threw away some code. You haven't thrown, your work is not just the code that you produce. Your work is all the learnings as well. And I was just going to say, I, I totally agree. I think it's real easy for us to get um, sort of caught up in the output of what we create. And it's not always the output that is the most important thing. It may be the learning that came from that experience that is the thing. And so throwing away some code or throwing away an automation playbook or you know, throwing away you know, whatever, right, um, in order to build a better one and 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 build that better one using the stuff that you learned, you know that's not it's not a bad thing, right? I mean, you're you're as long as you're learning out of this process, then there's something coming out of it. Like I said, for me personally, it's been quite good working more with an, an engineering team with that mindset. It helps impress these things upon you, but there's also within it works well when you've got a group culture which which accepts that you might be putting out some scratch work and progress stuff. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be complete on first first public reveal. You know, it's okay to publish something. Say this is work in progress. Get feedback. Course correct. Learn. Adapt. It, it's a. Uh, it's quite a lot better than the, the the more traditional ways of working that I started out with. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We've got a lot of flexibility now with being able to do you know very easy proof of concept um, scenarios where we could where we can spin up virtual network devices, we can try something out, you know, we can do this in the cloud or we can do it in, on a virtualization platform that's sitting in our data center. Um, and, and, and we can mock something up very, very quickly without necessarily having to invest a bunch of time and a bunch of effort and a bunch of equipment to try something out, um, which was, you know, the way it had to be done in the past. Yeah, that's actually a, like a, a broader change thing that, that I actually find that some of the people who've been in the industry a while, some of them have not, fully accepted this so sometimes so I'll, I'll be involved so these days working for a vendor I'll be involved in some sales calls talking to customers things like that and for some people they they want to spend a lot of time talking to a vendor um, go through the traditional sales motions those sorts of things before they ever actually try and spin something up and try it out and that's because they're used to the more traditional models where maybe software was difficult to get hold of. Maybe you, you know, you or I needed special hardware to paint to deploy that. I needed 
special, you know, specially trained people to just to do the installation, all of those sorts of things. Whereas now I should be able to get a, a trial or a full featured copy of whatever it is. I should be able to download that, install that and be up and running in a few minutes. And I should be able to pretty quickly try it out for myself. Now, it's still useful to talk to the sales engineers and people like that because they can explain a bit more about how things fit together, what they do, some of the details. But, you know, you should, you want to do something? Hey, VMs are basically free these days or AWS free tier is, free tier is free. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of options and and uh, it's definitely something that folks should uh, should take advantage of in order to, simplify and accelerate the process by which they are going out there to learn things. So yeah, we're, 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 um, you're getting close to, to the end of our, of our time slot. Um, so I want to be, be mindful of the listener's time. Um, quick question. I, I think the answer is going to be the same, but we've been focusing our discussion mostly on sort of the new networking professional, somebody who's coming in new to the industry. Um, would any of your answers change if you were talking about a more experienced networking professional, somebody who has been in the industry for a while and now needs to adapt to some of these changes that are happening? It's not easy if you've been around a while and you are very, very deep in one field and one area. It's not always that easy to change. Um, it's, you know, we, we know these things really well. Hey, I've got these processes built around. I don't want to I don't care about these other bits. First bit is the first thing is acceptance that hey, I probably am going to need to expand and learn some of these other adjacent skills. But again, I, like I think that the the most value comes from figuring out the adjacent things that are relevant to what you're doing. So if you're a, a network engineer and you're really good at, at that, you probably don't want to rush straight into writing Go GoLang. Like that's probably not going to solve any real problems for you. It's probably not going to tie very well to what you're doing. But maybe what you are, is if you're an experienced network engineer, you want to get yourself involved in your company's cloud migration project. And so along the way, you can learn more about, say, Amazon VPCs, how they work, doing things like Direct Connect. What do I need to do to connect my current network direct to Amazon's? What are the what are the, what's going, and then from there, branch that out, just learning about, say, hey, what's this Amazon CloudFront thing? Well, hey, okay, it's distributed CDN, or right, well, I'm a network engineer, I understand why latency matters. Maybe I've actually got some really useful input here for the application teams. So it's trying to figure out how do you, how do you bridge between what you know and what those other adjacent fields are? Um, and it's also sit down, have a look at what your strengths are. You should have a reasonable idea of what those are. Have a look at which areas you're a little, maybe you're, you're weaker or, you know, things that you know that you really should figure out or you should know more about. Pick one of them and say, all right, next few months, I'm going to focus on this Azure networking thing because that's relevant to my company and it's adjacent to what I do and it's an area I need to expand my skill set. Yeah, so you basically confirmed, and as I suspected that would be the case, that really whether you're a new networking professional or whether you're an experienced networking professional, and really it doesn't even be, it's not anything particularly even to networking, but for, for all those folks out there who are continually seeking to, to evolve and grow, 
there's a great deal of value in identifying the adjacent areas and then pursuing those adjacent areas always in connection with, you know, what, you know, what makes sense for my current job, my current employer, that kind of thing. And then what makes sense of me trying to solve, you know, a business problem, right. Um, rather than just picking something, you know, kind of, you know, pie in the sky, like, Oh, let's do this. Right. When it has no relevance, instead identifying those adjacent areas that are relevant, um, you know, moving into those adjacent areas, uh, with a with a, an eye towards what the business problem is and you know, what what you're going to solve for your company or your job or your organization or you know your broader career strategy where you want your career to go, um, and then and then executing from there. Like I, I see some people that engage in some projects which are primarily resume padding, and you you want to be a bit careful of that. Like obviously it's useful to say hey. These are good skills which would broaden my skill base and set me up for the next job, and that's that's totally fine. But be a little bit wary of doing something that your company doesn't really need, but just purely because, hey, I wanted to write Golang programmer on my resume. You know, try not to go down that path. Yeah, yeah, totally agree, totally agree. All right. Well, we are coming up on on our, our time. I wanted to just give you a couple minutes here now to kind of share any final closing thoughts with with the listeners. You know, any sort of nuggets of wisdom that perhaps you have, or you know, particular um, tips. Uh, you know, you've shared a lot of uh, very useful information all, all along the podcast. But um, any anything you know in closing that you wanted to share uh, with the listeners around this topic. Uh, just a couple of other things that, that come to mind. Uh, one of the things that I've found really useful over the last few years is to look more at the business things going on around the technology. This, this doesn't mean you need to all go out and do an MBA or any that sort of carry on. But take a listen of things like, say, the Network Break podcast. You notice on there that they'll mention things like company financials. And some people are saying, oh, why do I care who's announced their earnings, what this profit is, blah, 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 blah. Well, you don't have to pay attention to all of the details, but you should be looking at where, which companies are growing, which ones are stagnating within a company or within a vendor, which areas of their business unit, are, which business units are growing, which ones are shrinking. Because this tells you a lot about where companies are investing and it tells you a lot about where demand is within our industry, what's going on, what things matter, which things don't matter. So let's say, let's say you're a, a voice engineer and you're looking at your voice vendor and you're seeing that their voice revenues are on a steady decline, then you want to start looking at that broader industry picture and saying, okay, I'm probably okay for now, but I need to be thinking ahead about where where my next move is. So this is, it's one of those things that when, when I started out, I wasn't, I don't know, you get, you're deep, you're stuck in the technology, you're loving that, you're really enjoying that, but you've got to be aware of those broader issues. Or like say 10 years ago and people are saying, oh, cloud's just someone else's computer, it doesn't matter. Oh, look, Amazon's only a small amount of revenue, it doesn't matter. Look at the growth rates. You look at what's going on there and you say, well, okay, maybe this is small now, but if it's growing at in triple digit percentages, pretty quickly that's going to become a pretty relevant thing. So like I said earlier, you don't need to get bogged down in all the fine details of exact revenue numbers for every, in the uh, FTSE 100 or whatever. Don't worry about that level of detail. 
just worry about what's the broad directions, the broad investments and things that are going on within my industry. Because that will tell you a lot about where you should be thinking about focusing your your future learnings, your future growth. Um, but hey, if there's something you really love and you want to be a COBOL developer on a mainframe because you absolutely love that, don't worry. There is still a career for you. Yeah, absolutely there is. Lots of demand for COBOL programmers on mainframes, actually. So if if that's what they love, then go for it. Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, hey, Lindsay, it's been a fabulous conversation. I have gotten a, a ton of useful information during our conversation. I really appreciate you being on. I know the listeners will um, really enjoy some of the insight that you've shared. Um, real quick before we wrap up, just want to um, give you the chance again to uh, tell folks you know, where they can find you online in case they want to follow you on Twitter or subscribe to your blog or anything like that. Fantastic. It's been, been a pleasure sp- speaking to you as well. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter as at Northland Boy. You can find my blog at lkhill.com. Um, reach out to me on Twitter. Go to my blog. There's email, contacts, whatever. Always happy to chat to people. Uh, Or, hey, find me on Slack. Most likely, probably Network to Code Slack channel, hanging out on there somewhere. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Lindsay. And thanks, listeners, for joining us. We're so thankful that you took some time out of your day or or evening to uh, have a a listen. And we hope that the conversation and the topics that we've covered will prove useful to you in your ongoing journey of learning and education in, in your career. As always, if you want to reach out to me, the host, Scott Lowe, you can find me on Twitter as at Scott underscore Lowe. You can find the podcast Twitter account directly as at FSG Podcast. My website is blog.scottlow.org, and you're more than welcome to check any of those resources. This episode and the show notes associated with the episode, which will have links to many of the resources that Lindsay has mentioned, will be available on the Packet Pushers website. And we appreciate, once again, you taking the time to join us. Thanks again. Thanks again.